Hello and welcome to Pairing, a podcast where we pair wine with art and pop culture. I am your host, Emma Sherjarko, and this is an episode that I've wanted to do for a long time. Winston's History Corner. As you all know, Winston is a huge history nerd, and so we wanted to do an episode for them to talk about their favorite podcasts, movies, documentaries, books, and more. And I'll pair some wines off the cuff. There is some mention of violence and description of warfare in this episode, so if you prefer not to hear that kind of discussion, we totally understand. Thank you so much to our patrons, and especially our producer-level patrons, Emma Cohen, Rena Sarame, Zoo Yorker, Rebecca Joy Henrietta White, Rachel Berman, Yara Levy, and Michael Beck, all of whom I would watch the director's cut of Kingdom of Heaven with. I just posted a couple of housekeeping things on the Patreon, including scheduling a live stream for all of our patrons. So if you're a patron, make sure to come check that out and let me know your preferred time. If you're not a patron but would like to tune into this live stream, come check us out at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast, where you can get access to all sorts of extras for as little as $1 a month. After this episode, we have three more episodes until we go on hiatus. I've got the recording session scheduled, so hopefully, if all goes as planned, we'll release our 100th episode around the middle of June. I've got a very busy May, so this may get pushed to the end of June, but either way, we're looking at a couple more months of pairing before we go on an indefinite hiatus. I'll probably get real sappy and emotional as we get closer to that moment, but for now, I just wanted to say thank you to all of you so much for listening. Without further ado, here is episode 97, Winston's History Corner. Hello! Hello, everyone. Welcome to one of the last episodes of Pairing for now. For now. For now. <laughs> um, and uh, because because we're getting towards the end, or, you know, towards the... The end of the beginning. The end of the beginning, ex- exactly. Um, I wanted to do this episode, um, which is a Winston-centric episode. I know. So drunk with power. I know. And maybe literally drunk soon, too. (laughs) Oh, that's a good segue. Drunk history. Oh, drunk history. Yeah. Yeah, This is our version of drunk history. It's just a history corner with Winston. So um, to kind of structure this, Winston, because you're a huge history buff. And well, I would say I'm of history, like Dan Carlin says. I would say I'm a I'm a history fan. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't necessarily I, I I you know I wouldn't last a minute in like a history PhD program as it as it stands right now. But maybe maybe. Um, but, but but in terms of like I, history for me is kind I'm kind of like a comic book nerd for history. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like. I know some obscure facts, but also like a lot of the history podcasts and the stuff that I listen to, uh, you know, are some of the original, like the OG history podcasts that everybody knows about. Right. You know, and I'm actually, if if any listeners, uh, before we get going, if any listeners know of any really cool history podcasts that are hosted by people of color. Yeah. I'm really interested in that because I, that is or a, that is a huge. queer people yeah, as well. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's a huge gap in my history knowledge. Um, I think uh, Prop, the rapper who... Um, 
is sometimes on Behind the Bastards. He's um, he's black guy, obviously, and I think his his podcast Hood, mm-hmm. it's like called Hood Politics or something like okay, that. Okay, that's think familiar. I think they get into a little history on that. So that's nice. but that's the only one I'm actually like cognizant of. Nice. Well, so what I was going to say is, so we might as well let's start with your favorite history podcasts because rather than just have you talk about history for four hours, which <laughs> which you definitely could. Um, <laughs> I, I thought in order to structure this episode a little bit, let's talk about some of your favorite history podcasts. Okay. And then um, maybe a couple of your favorite historical dramas, because I, yes, know, I know you course. have a few of those, and, yes. and that's what I can relate to yeah, a absolutely. little bit more. And, um, and then maybe if we have time after that, maybe if you have any favorite documentaries or anything. Yeah, okay. So... The first and I haven't prepared anything wine wise, okay, so, so we'll we're, just we'll we're just pair gonna, it off the cuff. We're gonna pair uh, it off the cuff. Okay, so I've pulled the reason I pulled out my phone is listeners. Be- Winston has pulled out their phone. Uh, okay, so I've shouted this podcast out before, but I wanted to make sure I had the creator's name right. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been really into the Age of Napoleon yes. podcast, yes. and so it basically it is like Napoleon birth to death and everything in between there's actually a really good um mini section of it where he he kind of changes it to the age of Toussaint Louverture who is the sort of George Washington figure of Haiti and the Haitian that's Revolution that's right that's right and which we can connect that to our Witcher episode because Toussaint Toussaint yeah there oh, you go I love Toussaint um but his name is the the person who does the Age of Napoleon podcast uh, is named Everett Rummage Everett and Rummage. he has really cool interviews his research is extremely thorough he's um He's fantastic, and and he really brings the kind of the Napoleonic era to life in a way that you know the YouTube videos moving blocks of soldiers around doesn't mm-hmm. really do. Um, yeah. <laughs> for one, for one thing, he actually explains like how French armies fought in this time and why mm-hmm. they were such a dominant military power. Like it wasn't just lines of people marching at marching at you know shooting at each other there the french army had this thing called assault columns where mm. they would get into columns of fours and like really just push through into the and then spread out and and yeah. line up to do volley fire yeah um they were a, it's a lot more tactically sophisticated then, you know, because the easy, lazy joke is like, oh, well, of course you're going to, a lot of people are going to get killed if you're just standing in lines. And it's like, well, that's A, not just, that's not all they did. Right. And B, you know, we're talking about the restrictions of technology. And, mm-hmm. you know, he, he can, ex- he explains really succinctly. He gets, he gets really into the. What like a light infantry unit is. You yeah. Know, you hear that and you're kind of like, whoa, so that's like lighter than regular infantry? Yeah. No, they're. Like, at, how light are we talking about? Yeah. Like, <laughs> they're, like they're at, the light infantry are actually like the elite infantry, the mm. ones who like are skirmishers who they have the actual rifled guns and uh-huh. they like, they don't usually fight in line formation they're like you know in camouflage dug in they're like kind of the the snipers their whole idea is to harass the enemy out of formation so that they're easier for cavalry and line infantry to fight and kill etc cool um so so for the age of napoleon I mean, maybe we'll give Napoleon himself a, a, a pairing just oh, for yeah, fun, that would be good. just for funsies. But uh, but but for the age of Napoleon, it sounds like 
you know, you were saying like it's very thorough and also, but also approachable. Oh, like, yeah. And like, so he makes, he makes the, he makes the intricacies relatable or, yeah. or, or palatable. And, yeah. um, and so to relate to that, I would say like not necessarily a specific wine, but, I think of different styles of winemaking, you know, so we dump a lot on natural wine on, on this podcast, which is not totally accurate. Um, it's, you well, know. You actually have the expertise to form an opinion. I just kind of go along with what you say. Right, right. Well, what I would say is like a natural wine would be the wrong wine to pour, to pair with this podcast because the whole idea of natural wine is that it's very very minimal intervention and um the result is usually very kind of weird and often unapproachable i would say interesting for sure um and if it and if it's done well they can be really cool but the kind of the opposite end of the spectrum there would be a winemaker who like went to UC Davis to study wine. That's the the, the school of enology um, mm-hmm. in in California. And these he, these people we're dealing with in the Napoleonic era yeah. are very well educated. Absolutely. And, and the French army is probably the most the best trained army in the world yeah. at this time. Yeah. So I would say, you know, like a winemaker who is very involved in the, in every aspect of the process and like adds, you know, there are many winemakers, m- most good winemakers are very specific about, you know, okay, at this point we add this much sulfur and at this point we add this much thing. Sulfur? And- yeah, a little bit. Oh, wow. Okay. Or a little I didn't bit. know that. Yeah, sulfur. Um, that's the whole thing about sulfites. Ooh, let me, before we wrap up the podcast for now, let me go, uh, let me reiterate once again the myth of sulfites um, because so many people, and that's part of the thing with natural wine is usually there are no added sulfites in in uh, natural wine, but sulfur is basically a, uh, what's the word? A preservative. Um, so... So if you had a wine that had no sulfites in it whatsoever, it would taste like vinegar. So all wine has naturally occurring sulfites, but sometimes some more is added. I see. Um, and uh, in fact, most wine has a little bit more added. I see. Um, but I, you know, people have this myth or this idea. There's this misconception that sulfites are what cause people to have bad reactions to wine. It could be, but it's unlikely because there's more sulfur in dried fruit, in like orange juice, in uh, French fries than there is in wine. It, you know, I used to have a little chart. Anyway, that's my little rant about that. But yes, sulfur is a thing. Sugar can be a thing that is sometimes added. Not like, not like sugar, it's not like granulated sugar, but right. like sugar must is often added, especially in sparkling wine. So, ooh, actually sparkling wine, that's a great, I think yeah. like a champagne producer, this is perfect. That, I think yeah, a champagne great, producer actually. because champagne really is specific in, in what, is needs to happen at every single moment of the process and the winemakers in champagne are some of the most like knowledgeable and meticulous i would say yeah and that's and, also good i think because definitely josephine but mm-hmm. also napoleon like he was he could be rough and ready when he had to be but when right. he was doing his emperor thing right um he he had a he had a deep appreciation for the finer things in life as did most Absolutely. of his um, 
amazing rogues gallery of marshals. That's the, the, oh, yeah. one of the most fun things about Napoleonic, uh, this podcast, is you really get to know, like, Marshal Ney and Marshal Marat mm -hmm. and, you know, all these, all these like, larger-than-life characters, Horatio Nelson. And, and uh, I mean, it's just... It's really cool, and also I think it's it's an appropriate pairing because Napoleon went to the like most prestigious prestigious military academy, and he was in the artillery school, which is mm. like the most mathy, like, yeah. you know, thing at the time. And yeah. he also is credited with making field artillery like a much bigger part of warfare and using it to great effect. Though he also was a big fan of cavalry charges, and one of his marshals was like Mr. Cavalry Charge. Mr. Cavalry Charge. It's, and it's a cool era because you've got like a lot of guns, but you've also got men in, in plate mail armor on horses charging at each yeah. other with swords, you know? Cool. Um, okay, so moving on from that podcast, it's yes. really good. Donate to its Patreon so that the guy can, you know, finish the tale. Yeah. Um, but I got to go next to the OOG um, history podcaster that I'm aware of is Mr. Mike Duncan. Aha. Uh -huh. Who started the History of Rome podcast where he did from the very beginning to the very end of the Western Empire. And he did wow. it all in like 15 minute episodes. And that was like the first real history podcast that, that... That was even before Dan Carlin. Yeah, like he's... <laughs> Mike Duncan is like... He's the OG. Yeah. I, th I think Dan Carlin is not far behind him. Right. But, Mike, but it's a very different style of podcast, yeah. it sounds like. It's very different. Uh, well, Revolutions is 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 what he's doing now, and his he's on the last... Um, revolution that he's doing which is the russian revolution i think he's on like episode right. 110 oh of, of the russian just the russian revolution right but right. there's there's 10 that he he's done um he's really personable really amiable i mean again another white guy so yeah. please tell me about more yeah. podcasts with people of color but um mike duncan it, was working in the seattle fish market when he started the History of Rome podcast. Oh, he that's was a, so cute. Yeah, he was a history major, and he just kept doing the History of Rome until he finally got... And I think it was actually... It was like the second season of Revolutions after he finished History of Rome mm -hmm. that he was able to like start doing full, podcasting full time. Nice. But otherwise, he was like he was working as a fishmonger, you know, and yeah. it was just his hobby. And um, the revolutions he covers, he covers in amazing detail. Mm -hmm. um, he does. He starts with the English Civil War, so like Oliver Cromwell, all that mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. Then he does a short one on the uh, American Revolution. Um, still very thorough uh, going, but um, once he gets to the French Revolution, his third season, that one has like 80 episodes. Yeah. So every it, become, it becomes super granular. He does the French mm -hmm. Revolution in immaculate detail, and then he does the Haitian Revolution, mm -hmm. which is really like underappreciated and yeah. understudied. Yeah, and, definitely. Um, and then he does... I think the revolutions of 1848. I'm, I mean, I might be getting these out of order, but um, the one sure. I I really flipped out about was the Mexican Revolution. Oh, cool! That is oh, a yeah, really that cool. Inspired that inspired our D and D, &D, &D campaign. campaign. Yeah. yeah, the División del Norte. The División del Norte, which is what, what Pancho Villa's army was called right. in the Mexican Revolution. And I mean, that's just like talk about like a. I guess you. You wouldn't call it a Western, but it's very like mm -hmm. there's a lot of swashbuckling and, and cool shit in the totally. Mexican Revolution. And it's it's an, also an underappreciated history. 
Um, okay, so for this one, I'm going to give another one of, I know, your favorite wines. Okay. Um, I'm going to give it Chocolate. Oh, because, yeah. Because, uh, which is the slightly effervescent, very crisp wine from Basque Country in Spain. Um, and the reason why I... Uh, I thought of it is because, you know, if you go out to get pinchos in San Sebastián, right. uh, you know, they, they pour you just like a little glass of chocolate to go with your, your pinchos. And I feel like the, you know, to start out, um, you know, Mike Duncan, also if he was working as a fishmonger, like chocolate goes great with seafood. Oh, yeah. Um, and... And so that just feels right. Like you could have just like a little chocolate and a little pincho with your, you know, 15 minute episodes. But then as they get longer, well, then, you know, you can drink a bottle of chocolate because it's fairly low alcohol and you can just kind of listen and enjoy. Yeah, it's it's very much like a pair with appetizers, pinchos, uh, or tapas, as they are called in the rest of Spain. Yes. But in Basque, it's pincho. Pinchos. He's also written two very good books that I am, like, chewing through very slowly. Yeah, I got you one for your birthday, like, two years ago. Yeah, so he... He has one book called The Storm Before the Storm, and Mm -hmm. that is about the generation of Romans before Pompey and Julius Caesar. Mm. So it's it's Lucius Sulla and and Marius and their kind of civil war. Like it's basic and the and the Gracchi brothers. Uh It's basically like the beginning of the end of the Republic, which, you know, is uh, relevant now. For sure. <laughs> that you know, sure. there's a lot of comparisons well, of America like, to Rome, and yeah, there's um, a lot. There's a lot that's relevant when you study yeah. history to your present yeah. time. Well, and uh, particularly the democracy unraveling part, yeah, is, yeah. is like a little horrifically relevant. <laughs> and then he has one called "Hero of Two Worlds" that is an in-depth biography of the Marquis de Lafayette, ah. which you know. He's a lot Lafayette. more Lafayette. He's a lot more popular in America than he is in France. Makes um, sense because he, yeah, he crushed it over here. Yeah, and then <laughs> and when he became involved in the French Revolution, he was sort of like liberal, but like maybe we have a constitutional monarchy. Like mm. he was no, he was no Jacobin, no Girondin, and uh-huh. so. People were like, and, you know, at one point they, like, asked him to be in charge of the government. He's like, I don't want to do that. And so people were like, he kind of had a chance to be more uh, forward-thinking and progressive and be have more of an impact, and he kind of squandered that chance. Mm. But, mm. I mean, in America, there's a Lafayette Street in almost every city. Totally. There's towns called Lafayette. I mean, there, there's no state, I think, that doesn't have a Lafayette something, and that is the Lafayette they're talking about. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, he was a bad ass, at least in America. At least in America. Um, and and when he was being a badass in America, he was like 19 years old. That's crazy. Yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah. So both of his books are really worth picking up. And now um, we get to what I have seen described in memes as the... Uh, the white guy history nerd starter kit, <laughs> yes, <laughs> quote unquote, uh, podcaster Dan Carlin himself. Ah, uh, yes. Um, and I think there's a Dan Carlin is a very rich and complex person. I think mm-hmm. he's his politics aren't 
necessarily to my taste. He's a little bit of like, I am skeptical of both sides. Yeah. I'm skeptical of everyone. You know, right, and he's right. more sort of like libertarian, like, yeah. don't, you know, he started as, as like basically a conservative radio jockey. Uh-huh. Um, not not anything like the conservative radio we have right. now, but like that was that was his background was radio DJ. Yeah. And like talk radio. As a result of that, he is just a super engaging storyteller. And while I don't love his politics, because um, he's like, oh, what's what's it going to lead to if you if you if, if we if everyone starts punching Nazis, what's that going to lead to? And I'm like punched Nazis. Yeah. Dan. Yeah. I, I yeah. 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 I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> but um, he is a fabulous storyteller he is. and really he is. engaging. And he's also, he approaches, like he covers a lot of really gruesome shit. Like yeah. his series on World War One is, is amazing and has some of the most harrowing, like human, uh, you know, in crisis stories that yeah. you'll ever hear. I mean, there's one that I'll never forget about him there. I guess it's a, it's a British army unit and mm-hmm. they, uh, there's, they're, you know, out of the trench and this one guy gets shot and he's shot so badly, like 17 times or something. And he's like screaming, dying on the field. And like one or two guys get killed trying to rescue him because the screaming is so intense. And then finally they stop trying because they're getting killed. And Mm -hmm. when they find him the next day or the next night, whenever there's like a lull in the fighting, um, they find that he's crammed his entire fist into his mouth Ugh. to stop himself from screaming so that no more of his friends get killed. Oh my God. And the way oh my God. the way Dan Carlin relates that, it, he's so empathetic. He's like he really does not gloss over the human suffering, the human tragedy of yeah. these things. Like he yeah. he focuses on them uh, because it makes for inter- in, you know mm-hmm. interesting radio, I guess, or mm-hmm. interesting podcasts. But like. His whole, like his, there's no like rah, rah America shit or rah, rah anybody shit in his stuff. He's like, yeah, Alexander the Great could probably be compared to Hitler, you know, yeah. like, like yeah. he killed all millions of people, yeah, you know, for his megalomania. And he's, his approach is always about like the human drama and the human passion. His, he right. recently did one about the Pacific War between America and Japan in World mm-hmm. War II. Mm-hmm. And he, I thought he did just a fantastic job of relating the utter fucking tragedy that the average Japanese person was subjected to and these bombing campaigns and the way the soldiers were kind of hung out to dry. I mean, he's, there's no, not even a sliver of like Ken Burnsy nationalism in his storytelling. It's all about the people and those people's experiences. And of course, yeah. he's he's as well researched as they come, right up there with Mike Duncan and them, and, and everybody. Yeah. Okay. So I have a few different thoughts, and I'm I'm most familiar with Dan Carlin because I've listened to some yeah. Dan Carlin with you. I've subjected you to it. <laughs> yes, and, and like when we were first dating, you were like, "I love this guy," and I was like, "Okay, I'll listen." Well, yeah, because you would go to sleep, and I would sit on your porch. This is when I still smoked, and I would smoke yeah. pot and cigarettes and listen to yeah. Dan Carlin's series on the Mongols. Yeah, that's right. It was the Mongols. <laughs> and then I would come in and go to bed. Yeah. Um. So. So a couple things come to mind, and I think I think your point of he's just an amazing storyteller 
makes me think of, you know, like places and traditions where oral storytelling are really prevalent. So like I think of like you know, Homer and okay. Greek culture oh, there you go. and uh, and Ireland. And He's Irish. Oh, is he Irish? Yeah. Perfect. So obviously Ireland doesn't make wine, but um, they they sure make whiskey. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm I, I like Irish whiskey. I actually tried one recently. Obviously, there's Jameson and Jameson has a soft spot in my heart for for many reasons. But um, <laughs> but it's great uh, in a pickleback. It is. It is. But. I tried one recently. There's a a a distillery called Silky, okay. S I L K I E, and they do peated whiskeys. So they're almost more like Scotch. They're not they're not quite like that, but they're but they're uh, they've got a little bit more kind of smokiness going Ooh, on like to that. them. Yeah, I'll I'll we'll get a bottle sometime. You can try it. But so something like that, I actually like yeah, like sitting and sipping on whiskey feels right yeah. for Dan Carlin. Because, I mean, he t- he's like the opposite of Mike Duncan. His episodes are sprawling four-hour yeah, epics. Yeah, you know? exactly, which is, again, what makes me think of kind of Homer. Yeah, like a, Dan, and... a, a Mike Duncan episode comes out like once every week. A uh, Dan Carlin episode comes out like twice a year. I know. And I, will, and... I will tweet about it and put it I on Facebook. Well, I'm not on Facebook anymore, but I will tweet like, it's Dan Carlin Day! It's really funny. That was the other thing I was thinking about, that like it is like an event when a new Dan Carlin episode comes out because between you, Sarah Shackett, and a couple other people who I know who love Dan Carlin, you know, I see, I always see stuff on Twitter about it when it's happening. Um, I wish people a merry Dan Carlin day. Frequently. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and that makes me think of in the, in the wine world and alcohol world in general, like, you know, there's some really highly allocated whiskeys or wines that are really rare. And it's almost like, like for a wine nerd, like finding one of those wines would be like Dan Carlin day. (laughs) Um, Or or for a whiskey collector, finding a bottle of Blanton's. Can I go on a Blanton's rant? No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm just going to (laughs) say there's other bourbon out there besides Blanton's. Expand your horizons. Stop asking your wine store, liquor store, retail people if they have any blends. For God's sake, we get we get like ten inquiries a day, and you just can't you just can't get blends anyway. Okay, um, so I think that's pretty good. Uh, the so the only other thing I was gonna say, um, you know, speaking of like Greek oral oral storytelling, is Greek wine could be cool if you wanted to do a wine with uh with dan carlin yeah and i think that makes sense too because you know there's the sitting and sipping whiskey but also like that was pretty common i think back in the day to have like your acerticos or your whatever kind of greek wine you're having maybe yeah and just sit there for fucking eight hours yeah drinking the whole time yeah while a dude tells a story yeah (laughs) <laughs> you know, the, absolutely, and and it it feels like that. It they feel really epic, and I'm, I mean, he's deeply researched. You know, it's yeah. like There's like forty books that go into every one of these fucking episodes, yeah. but, um, but it does. It just has that feel of like, would I would I sit in a stadium 
or a theater and yeah. listen to this dude just talk for four fucking hours about this? I absolutely, absolutely would. Absolutely, I would. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I would buy a ticket, I would take a, a jug of wine and yeah. sit there and yeah. just, again, get trashed. Yeah, watching, jug, jug wine is definitely. To totally, totally. Uh, so let's, um, those are kind of my three tent pole history podcasters. Yeah. There's a couple other ones. Do I, you want to shout mention. out? Yeah, yeah. I just, there's, um, a pretty interesting one called History Impossible um, that gets into some really sort of niche and interesting things. If you um, are the kind of person that would subscribe to Luminary, the subscription podcast service, you cannot miss Daniele Bellelli. Oh, yeah, Daniele Bellelli. I forgot that he's only History on fire. History on fire. Um, and it's, it's probably worth the subscription just for him. I did not mention uh the dollop in detail i will say i think it's a comedy podcast where one comedian reads a, a story to the other comedian it's dave anthony reads to gareth reynolds they're both well gareth reynolds is pretty funny dave anthony is pretty funny <laughs> but um and gareth has no idea what the topic is ever uh -huh. so he just like riffs on everything and it's it's gotcha. kind of it's sort of like mystery science theater but for mm -hmm. history okay Got and it. it's very consumable most of the time it's usually good for a laugh out loud a few times um my issue is again two white men yeah um and They've stopped talking as much politics because I guess they're getting negative feedback. But I'm I'm generally with them on the leftiness of everything. Mm -hmm. But um, I kind of think Dave Anthony's like a bit of a chicken hawk. He's mm. like, you need to get out there and fight the police and burn down the city. Well, I can't do it because I have a young child. But you yeah, should, get, you know. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. like fire and brimstone sure, kind of shit. Sure. And they take themselves very very seriously. I would mention behind the bastards yeah. with Robert Evans. Talk about not a chicken hawk. He was a combat journalist. He was like there on the streets of Portland when people were getting tear gassed, getting right. tear gassed himself. Right. It's very funny. Um, the guests he has are great. Uh, he um so that is the kind of if you want like a, a sort of comedic um history podcast i would go with robert evans um nice. and behind the bastards and um but yeah we we need we need more people of color we maybe need some non cis male yeah. identifying and so behind the bastards and... has as co-hosts or guest hosts people of color trans people great um all, you know right. there's a lot more of of the diverse voices yeah diverse voices e even though it's like robert usually reading the script though occasionally he hands it over to someone else who reads it to him sure but um, sure but yeah that podcast is much better that way in terms of diverse voices diverse reactions and, and perspectives cool. from different places um Great. Yeah. So the, the those are the podcasts. Those and are I the think podcasts. We're ready to ready to move on to okay. another topic. So should we move on to either, um, uh, like okay? Well, let's, first let's do historical epics. Okay, let's do historical epics. Okay. So there are a few for for those of you who don't know. Winston has a few films that you like to put on to go to sleep to. And <laughs> that are possibly a little counterintuitive. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, probably the foremost one that comes to mind. Well, there's a couple. Okay. I don't know if Django Unchained counts. I no, don't think no, it counts because that's you know, Tarantino. Yeah, that's, it's Tarantino. It's it's uh, not meant to be, you know. Yeah. 
historically accurate or whatever. Right. I mean, it largely largely is, I think, in terms of its costuming and the treatment sure. of enslaved people. Sure. Um, it was but, actually much worse than that. But, yeah, but yeah. It, it approximates it with some of the tortures that you see. Okay. Way. But, 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 but yeah. let's, let's uh, the, the foremost one that comes to mind is... Kingdom of Heaven. Kingdom of <laughs> Heaven. Okay. Let me talk to you a little bit about Kingdom of Heaven. Kingdom of Heaven is not a fantastic movie. <laughs> uh, it is by Ridley Scott. Uh, he's doing uh, Apologia for the Crusades by uh, yep. positing yep. that there were some people who actually like cared about the cared, Muslims. Yeah, cared about, wanted to coexist and build a better and more not really but i don't know more humane kind of world where everybody lived together in harmony and blah 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 so that of first of all the premise is kind of like okay yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean maybe maybe there were but still we're talking about christian crusaders invading invading the holy land yeah Yeah. exactly but uh, so but all that being said my history teacher i'm taking my shoes off Oh, God, you're wearing shoes? Yeah. My history teacher in college, great guy named David Castriota, um, who did a a history lecture called East versus West that was all Mm -hmm. about kind of the the propaganda Mm -hmm. of setting the Western and Eastern world against each other when really it was just sort of a membranous, you know, mix of things going back and forth. And obviously, like, you know... I'm listening. I'm, I'm not just... the first person to to say that, like, you know, uh, if you've seen Cosmos or anything like that, you know that like chivalry, algebra, uh, all these things that mm-hmm. we that we take for granted now are contributions of the Arab world, and the flowering of science in the Arab world during the Dark Ages is really responsible for like a lot of what you know asshole right-wing pundits like to call western civilization well i got news for you buddy it's not western (laughs) most of it comes from somewhere else but okay so the reason he had us watch it and he had us watch the like extended version the director's cut which is like a whole different that's what i've heard it's a whole like a whole different i I think i still have not seen it yeah there are whole characters in that that aren't in the uh studio cut yeah but the depiction of the way medieval armies travel, engage, mm-hmm. how they look, what the siege warfare was like, is all like spot fucking on. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the way the mounted warriors fight, the way the, the Muslim armies fight, the mm-hmm. way the Christian crusader armies fought and um, how all that worked, you know, because it was it was two very different styles of fighting. At, at the beginning, especially when you had like mounted horse archers on the Muslim side dealing with um, uh, dealing with fully armored Christian knights just charging, you know, and, and, and light cavalry versus heavy cavalry and how that works in the desert. Like all that stuff is represented in the movie, as is um, some of the I, I forget what it's called, but it's like modern European martial arts or something or mm-hmm. you know basically the art of fighting like a knight which is still practiced uh-huh, today uh-huh. Um, I know an author named Joseph Brassi who does all that stuff and I was actually asking him about um, Kingdom of Heaven and he was like yeah Kingdom of Heaven is largely accurate about how individuals fought but 
in the uh, Kingdom of Heaven, they make a big deal of the Posta del Falcone, the guard of the hawk, where you hold the sword like high up over your head. Uh-huh. And he was like, yeah, that is a, a real guard that people did use, but you can't do it for very long, especially if you're wearing fucking armor. Right. You get tired. So people tend to use uh, the low guard, even though Liam Neeson in the movie says never to do it. So like there's, you know, little things that are inaccurate, but... But it's largely just on point in terms uh-huh. of how all that stuff went down. And I like it because I'm a huge Saladin fan. Yeah. Saladin is one Saladin of my, is... my heroes as far as a, you know, murderous <laughs> bastard yeah. TV yeah. hero. Yeah, hey. But yeah, but you know, like, uh, look at the Founding Fathers, you know. Yeah. They killed a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and exactly. Saladin was like the ultimate chivalrous kind of figure from that era. Like yeah. everyone, this also brings to mind a, a, an amazing documentary. If you can find it on YouTube or whatever, but it's Terry Jones uh, covering mm-hmm. the crusades. Mm-hmm. Amazing. The art is amazing. They, they bring all these mosaics and like icon paintings to life by like covering the people in makeup yeah. and like they close their eyes and they have the open eyes of the icon or whoever oh, painted wow. on the eyes and cool. they look like statues and Terry Jones dr- travels the Holy Land talking about all this um, and if you can find it anywhere I highly highly recommend it but those are, those two are kind of companions in my mind because I became obsessed with both at the same time when that I was like sense. 19 and uh, you know had had the Terry Jones thing on VHS yeah yeah <laughs> Um, it, the the whole period is super fascinating. At one point, uh, I guess uh, Saladin was bombarding a castle, and a Christian, you know, like a Templar castle or Christian castle, and mm-hmm. he heard that um, a young noble couple or something had gotten married that night, and so he like stopped the bombardment to uh, to let them have a nice wedding. Oh, isn't night. that nice? Yeah, and he would do stuff like he would offer to send his physician. Uh, uh-huh. He does it in the movie Kingdom of Heaven. He's yeah. like, I'll have my personal physician come and take a look at you when the, the, um, the bubon- uh, not bubonic plate, but the leprosy right, king right. That's played right. by Edward, Edward, uh, Norton. Edward Norton, which is the weirdest um, thing ever because you yeah. never see his face and he's in it for like five minutes. Well, he's in a little bit more than maybe that. a little bit more than that. But okay, can I interrupt at this? Yes, moment please. To there are some very quotable lines in the movie too. There are. Um, Okay, so I wanted to bring up a couple different things. All right. The first being, speaking of Saladin. Or Salahuddin. Salahuddin. Am I wrong? Okay, no, it's not It's not Saladin, but it's the the, the primary Muslim character that Orlando Bloom is interacting oh, with. Oh, the, the, like, the cavalry general. Yes. Yes. His name is Imad. Do you know who that actor is? No. Who plays him? He is uh, Alexander Siddig. The actor who plays Dr. Bashir <gasps> in Deep Space Nine. <laughs> no. Yes. Oh my God. What? Uh, yes. <laughs> I knew. I knew you were gonna be. <laughs> How could I oh, have no. seen this movie fifty times and never realized that? Oh my God. I'm a terrible person. Oh. Oh, Alexander Siddig. I love you so much. You're amazing. You're yes. my favorite person. Oh, yeah. oh. I met your son and he was delightful to work with. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? Oh my God! What? So yes, there that there's just that, uh, which is he's amazing. He's fantastic. He's in the movie he's too. fantastic in the movie. He's one of the. He's your one quality of the... will be known among your enemies before ever you meet them, my friend. Yes. So good. <laughs> so good to me. To me, like that is. I mean, yes, it's very much like 
this colonialist fantasy that like right oh but they actually like us but uh but it, yeah, if we the, could just the, stop arguing about all this religious stuff everything would be fine it's like no you actually n- invaded n- someone else yeah <laughs> actually actually though um but but Which the, the, you know the muslim caliphates did a fair amount of too I and mean, you know there's no yeah. there's no real good guys in the story no but I there mean, are worse well, guys and well, the christian crusaders yes, were definitely the, them we're we're not gonna super get into the complexities that is uh jerusalem uh we're not gonna do that on this podcast Uh, (laughs) still to this day i hear there are issues yeah i've heard i've heard that i've heard that though Uh, it's worth pointing out that at as of today the crusader kingdom of Utremer Mm -hmm. beyond the sea Mm -hmm. which was jerusalem and several other you Mm -hmm. know baronies or whatever existed for longer than the state of jerusalem has okay and so the the events that are depicted in Kingdom of Heaven, the Muslim retaking of Jerusalem, uh, that happens after Utremer has been around for about 98 years. So yeah. Israel is, is at around 70-something. Something like Four, that. 48 to, or 46 to whatever yeah. now. So it's it's getting close. But yeah. Yeah. as we sit here today, Utremer <sighs> lasted longer than the state of Israel has. So, you know. Okay. Worth, worth keeping in mind. Yeah. Um, so the the other the wine concept that I was going to bring in, which it, uh, we have talked about before, but uh, not but not in a while, is we got to talk about actually uh, Provence and rosé oh, okay. because a lot of the Knights Templar are French. Yes, but they actually founded uh, wineries. Oh. In that part of southern oh. France. So I, I was looking that. this up while you were talking. I'm I'm sorry, just because I didn't want to get it wrong. But there's one uh, particular winery that I associate with this, which is uh, Chateau Parasol, P-E-Y-R-A-S-S-O-L. And, you know, you'll see that, like, Knights Templar cross on a lot of bottles. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I've so seen here. Yes. Okay. So in 1204, estimated year of the foundation of the Commanderie de Parasol by the Knights Templar. Um, and so I believe that this is sort of the like checkpoint, you hmm. know, where you'd go through France to start getting into, or I, I don't know, I don't remember. But, but in 1256 is the first recorded harvest. Mm. I, at the, I'm assuming great harvest at the Commanderie de Parasol, um, and their their wines are just so so good. Um, you all know how I feel about rosé. I believe I talked about this in the um, the War of the Roses episode. That oh, we okay, did. there we go. See, so you, you get yep. that kind of that kind of even that there. even that Japanese um, whiskey or whatever we got the other day from your store. They had a Templar. They had a samurai on it, but there was a Templar. Cross. It wasn't actually Japanese. It was oh, okay. just. It was actually from California, but yeah. but they but they have that samurai on there with the Templar cross. There's the Parasol Reserve de Templiers, mm, which I sounds like Reserve of the Templars. Cuvée de Commandeur. And let's face it, like this movie, I don't love it as much as you do. I. Uh, enjoy it. I enjoy parts of it. And as you you said, like, the director's cut is much, much different. But to me, like, the way Ava Green's character just, like, disappears and literally only, like, the shots of her just staring wistfully off of the battlements, um, that bothers me. She's a much bigger deal in the director's cut. She, like, kills her son. Oh, shit. First of all, 
her son is in the director's cut. Oh, I didn't know she had a son. Yeah, she has a son, and what she realizes is that the son has leprosy. Oh, fuck. Which, I mean, maybe implies that she was sleeping with her brother. I don't know. But um, she kills kills the son by putting poison in his ear because she doesn't want him to go through the the misery of leprosy. Yeah. Um, Because she just saw her brother do that. And so that's what she, like, why she cuts off all her hair and feels so guilty. It's not because she fucked Orlando Bloom a couple of times. It's because she fucking killed her son. Yeah. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Is dealing with that. Okay, that's a whole different thing. But it's only in the director's cut. Um, I do have to say, like, as obviously a huge Lord of the Rings fan and, um, you know, generally a fan of Orlando Bloom and what he does. Uh, I'm not saying he's he like... He seems like a nice fella. He seems like a nice enough fella and, you know, he, he may not be the greatest actor in the world, but he's very good at what he does. And uh, I thought he did a good job in this movie. He does. And it, and it, didn't, it didn't take off... You know, it wasn't Gladiator. Which... No, it was supposed to be his, like, triumphant follow-up to Gladiator. Yeah. And that, and it was not. It was not. But, uh, in, but an epic history movie, it is, and a fairly indeed. accurate one as well. Yeah. So Ridley Scott has many faults, but attention to detail is not. No, no. He's um, very interested in the details of things. Yeah, but um, but also what I was gonna say is I I feel like Rosé is a good movie to pair with Kingdom of Heaven. Or a good wine to pair with the. What did I say? You said a good movie. It's a good movie. Rosé is a good movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Listen, it's like synesthesia at this yeah, point in my go. brain. But but yes, Rosé is a good wine to pair with Kingdom of Heaven because it's it's quaffable. There are there are nuances and intricacies to it even if you don't think so, but generally speaking, it's like this movie is not one you're going to sit down and be like, "Oh my god, it's one you want to sit down and just drink drink some nice rosé and admire the yeah. The landscape. And... Though I do want to point out a couple of lines that give yes. it a little bit more heft. Yes, let's um, do that. There wh- are some very good lines. One is when the the Knight Hospitler character, who I forget who plays him, but you have the list there. Is he the bad one? No, he's the guy in black. He's the guy in black. He's part of Liam Neeson's retinue at the beginning. Oh. Um, but at one point remember. he says, um, I've... Uh, under the name religion, I've seen all manner of terrible things done. Oh, uh, it's David Thewlis. David Thewlis, yeah. yeah. And he says, but holiness lies in right action. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've, I've, that's kind of always stuck with me. Yeah. Um, that's one of the tenets of Christianity that I can get behind. It just so rarely actually manifests up to that. itself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this, yeah, this is, you know. Before prosperity gospel and all the other yeah, trash yeah, yeah. that's going around, but anyway, there's also the knight's vow that he takes, yeah, which I think is really good. I think it's it's something along the lines of um, you used to you used to have the whole thing. Memorized. I used to have it all memorized, yeah. but it's like uh, defend the weak, uh, speak the truth always, even if it leads to your death. Be Good, uh, good and upright that God may love thee, and uh, something you know. And, bum, then, bum, and then he smacks him. And then he him. smacks him, and he's like, "That's your oath. That's so you remember it." And yeah. that's a cool thing that, that happens is. in the movie. Yeah. And then, I mean. And then Orlando Bloom does it. Yeah. To to to, to like a, a bunch of people when they're about to defend Jerusalem yeah. from Saladin, yeah. and also Saladin's lines are all pretty much bangers. Yeah. Where he's like, uh, you know, what does he say? Um, uh, 
he's like, how many victories did God win for the Muslims before I came? You know, like yeah. he has all these like really witty retorts and yeah. cool things. The Saladin character is, I think for a Western movie, he's treated very well. He's treated yeah. as like the not bad, bad guy. Um, yeah, I think, I, and, and, and I think, I think the movie does recognize. Yeah, the movie's like, like Saladin's not necessarily the villain here. It's the Templars. Yeah, it's, and well, Reina yeah, the de villain. The, yeah, and, the villain is the Templar guy played by Martin Soka. Speaking uh, of Lord of the Rings, who plays? Uh, uh, oh my God, Celeborn. Oh, cool. Yeah, Gal- Galadriel's boo, who mm-hmm. you only see for like two seconds. Yeah, he's a great character actor. I like that guy. Yeah, yeah, he's very good. All right, so let's move on to another historical epic that I plague you with incessantly. What? Which one is it? I, I, it's up to you. Well, there's Gladiator. There's Gladiator. We could keep going with the Ridley Scott. Uh, well, let's let's well let, let's, let's 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 mix give it a up quick, a little bit. Let's give a quick shout out to Gladiator because I don't think we need to like totally dive into gladiator no we both love i gladiator is one of my absolute favorite movies i'm just a bit more likely to put it on to go to sleep than you yeah no i would put it on to actually watch right um but it but it was funny i think like a couple or like a month or two ago you put on gladiator and i just heard the opening like little flute yeah 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 and i was like are you watching gladiator (laughs) i was like no yes um It's a uh, great movie. It's, it's a great movie. It's the performance. Everything about it is perfect. It deserves yeah. its own episode. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah. and I and spoilers. I I am actually going to be on a podcast. I have already recorded it talking about Gladiator, specifically the soundtrack to Gladiator. So um, I don't think I can announce that yet, but uh, but I will once I can. So look out for that. Well, let's mix it up a little bit and uh, let's talk about Ken Burns. Yeah. Ken Burns. Ken Burns. John Brown. Ken Burns. John Brown. John Brown. John Brown. So when I was a kid, uh, a wee wee bairn. A wee bairn. You know, of three, four, five. My grandfather, and I I say this openly, he was a fucking Klansman. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was described as a casual Klan member by my Father, my father is 84, to give you an idea of like the timeline we're talking about. Right, right, right. Okay. So my father's born in 1934. Ginga, as I knew him, was Mm -hmm. born in 1906. He was a fucking Klansman. Yeah. And when my parents were still together, they had a house in Galveston for a while. And Texas. Galveston, Texas. Sorry. Not everybody might know. Right. Galveston. And, And it's, you know, it's basically like a beach town mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. most of the houses are on the water with like boat docks attached it's that kind of place yeah right and my dad would take me and my grandparents out to the house sometimes either with or without my mom uh, spoiler alert their marriage does not last yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things my dad had given my grandfather as a present was the ken burns civil war documentary mm. and I believe that my grandfather he was obs- he was obsessed with watching it. Whenever mm-hmm. we weren't like out eating or doing something else or on the boat or whatever, he would be watching this fucking Ken Burns documentary. And I believe he was watching it, hoping that if he watched it enough times, <laughs> the South would win. Oh God! Because again, Klansman. Klansman, yeah. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> and there are there are very problematic things about the Ken Burns documentary. One is that it it centers 
as the main historian that we talked to, there's a bunch of people who, you know, who are interviewed as as historians, and one is a black woman who's fantastic. I think her name is Barbara Fields or something like that. Okay. Um, and she's great. But the main person they talk to, because he's good at spinning a yarn, uh, even though he's a terrible person, is Shelby Foote. Yeah. Shelby Foote it was the most famous uh, de rigueur Civil War historian uh, author for a long time. But he also happens to be um, one of the chief apologists for the lost cause myth. Mm-hmm. He does not engage meaningfully with slavery. He he just covers it as like a, a football game, you know, where he's the announcer right. telling the stories of all the players, right? He he does his moral equivalence and the fact that he is unwilling to recognize that this was a, a real struggle for human freedom. Um, whether the people who started the fight wanted it to be about that or not, which of course it was. Even all the southern states that seceded were like, "We're doing this because we want to own people." Right. You guys. Yeah. Like yeah. here, here it is in writing, and so he is one of the chief enablers of this horse shit, uh, lost cause mythology of oh, it's about states' rights and blah blah blah. What the fuck the, does that even mean? The, you know, the fucking Nazi regime took most of its inspiration from Jim Crow laws post Reconstruction mm-hmm. and the race codes that America had in place, and that is never meaningfully engaged with. Now, I am also obsessed with this documentary. Both because I kind of hate watch Shelby Foot a lot of the time, but also because I love watching the union win. <laughs> and and yeah. don't get me wrong, most of the people who are the union heroes went on to be genocidal monsters against Native Americans. Sherman in particular, Grant was presiding over that mm-hmm. when it happened. Mm-hmm. Like Sheridan, all of them became just utter butchers of Native Americans. Just genocide. Genocidal monsters. Yeah. yeah. But watching them kick slaveholder ass is fun. Yeah. And the music is good. Yeah. And once we start actually hearing from black people, right. it, get, it gets really intriguing. And um, and it is, you know, it is a, it, it, Ken Burns is a good storyteller too. Yeah. I don't think he, he gets into nuance as much he he has a lot more of a like a raw raw uh-huh. aspect to him and you can see like when he gets political on twitter and people are like, i like your documentary but i didn't realize you were liberal and yeah, it's like he's yeah, yeah. he's like he's a lib he's not like a leftist and he's very much like america you know beacon of beacon of hope if if we can you know and yeah. I think his intentions are good but like he's also trying to appeal to the broadest possible audience for a history documentary mm-hmm. um so you know it might not be your bag you might you know maybe maybe you want to watch this thing about baseball or jazz or the national parks yeah. which the national history of the national parks is also super racist and genocidal but yes. um but his civil war documentary and his and his world war ii documentary the war are just impeccably made they're, especially in the war, they go out of their way to tell cool stories, like they tell the story. And the war—that's the one that that's, Keith David. That's when Keith David narrates. I believe, I think Sam Waterston narrates the Civil War. So, so um, I was looking it up. I I think Sam Waterston. Well, he plays President Abraham Lincoln. Oh, he's Lincoln. Okay, for sure. But I think David McCullough. 
is oh, the primary narrator. David McCullough, who and is an amazing history author. Yes, he's I know. written some of my favorite books. So Winston and my father first bonded because of your mutual love for history and or or you know because my my father's also a big fan and so I grew up with my dad having a a shelf full of David McCullough books. Right. And so he and, wrote he wrote the he wrote the book Adams that the John Adams HBO limited series is uh-huh. about. He wrote the book Truman, which I fucking loved. Um, and, uh, you know, Truman, deeply flawed person. He dropped the atomic bomb on people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but, <laughs> but it's a very good book. And just all his books are fucking yeah. phenomenal. But hang on. I'm going to go through some of the cast members of the Ken Burns oh, there you go. At this point, I imagine, like, most people watched it in, like, your middle school history class or something like that. You that mean people don't watch it for fun? Yeah, well, I, I don't know. Over and over and over again? But just in case you forgot. <laughs> so Morgan Freeman is Frederick Douglass. Yes. Uh, I did not realize this, but Garrison Keillor is Walt Whitman. Oh, there you go. Arthur Arthur Miller is William Tecumseh Sherman. Holy shit, really? Yeah, apparently. <laughs> Jeremy Irons is various... As is Derek Jacoby. Yeah, Jeremy Irons does like the British diplomats and, and stuff. And Kurt Vonnegut. What? And Lawrence Fishburne. It's 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 wild. There's a lot this is quite the quite the cast. Um but yeah, it's a you know, I think like you said, it very much to me, like watching it now feels very lib. So that's to say fairly centrist in its uh, I mean, like liberal, but but like not really interrogating some of the. Yeah. The the first episode, though, I will say is all about it's called The Cause, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's all about how fucking evil slavery was. Yeah. And, the, you know, it does it does do a good job of, of saying, like, you know, you don't understand, like everything that's that's peddled by lost cause narrative people about slavery about how like oh the slaves were happy and blah 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 blah. no yeah. it's like one in four lived to be 60 you had to grow your own food you were tortured this that and the other thing you this that you know yeah. like it 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 doesn't it's not as thorough as like the half has never been told which is a great book about american chattel slavery right but it it does like at the beginning it's like listen slavery <laughs> was a real problem let's talk about it yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but still, like that—that that should be that should be the bare minimum. You yeah, know? exactly. You know? Yeah, it's, so, it's yeah. You don't get a cookie. Yeah, for, like yeah. acknowledging one of the great historical evils. Yeah. So I'm trying to think what to pair with Ken Burns. Well, so let's see here. Claret was very popular um, at, during this time. I actually, I actually like that claret because that's bored. That's another. That's an antiquated term for Bordeaux, and I. Um, I think that I think I like that because I think that the Ken Burns documentary really appeals to white men of a certain age. Yeah, it's another like starter kit white yeah, boy definitely. History and thing. and like Bordeaux is definitely like a status wine for the people who I think this was most appealing to for the not again, not to say that there aren't 
valuable things in it and good things in it but i think that's kind of the feeling that i get for it yeah. does that does that make sense yeah that totally makes sense i would shout out a couple of books about the civil war that i yeah. think are yeah we haven't talked about books um, at all no, are, we... that are much better um one is called fateful lightning Mm. And I actually gave that to your dad as yes. a Christmas present. Yes. It's written by a man, I believe, named Alan C. Guelzo, and he is actually a professor of history at the University of Gettysburg. Oh, wow. Or, or Gettysburg College, or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. Um, also, if you haven't been to the Gettysburg battlefield, oh. go fucking there. And if you have the resources and the opportunity, there are uh, park wardens there. It is like... There's like 130 of these dudes in the country. Yeah. Dudes and dudettes and people in between. Dudes um, being a gender neutral yeah. term. Well, no. I mean, men, women, whatever. You have got to, you basically have got to have PhD level knowledge of the battlefield area that you're talking about to be one of these guides. And I went once and like everybody in our party, he like asked what state we were from and found a way to link people who were involved wow. in the Battle of Gettysburg with us. Like... For me, it was New Mexico. For a friend, it was Alaska. Right. My Puerto Rican friend Mario was with us. And Admiral Farragut, uh, who is the guy who's famous for saying, damn the torpedoes. Uh-huh. I haven't begun to fight. Um, or damn the torpedoes is the main thing, who who basically captured Louisiana and mm-hmm. the lower Mississippi. Puerto Rican. Cool. You know, I mean, I think there's a white guy born in Puerto Rico, but Puerto sure, Rican. Sure. You know, so but, I don't know. It, just go there. It is amazing. I mean, the statues and alone. And wasn't there some pretty bad wine around there, too? You went? Yes. Yeah. There yeah. was. <laughs> well, there was one winery we went to that was awful. I yeah. Mean, it, it was like my folks had got this tour in in the in an auction I remember this was this was auction. like a week after we had first started dating. It was, it was a few it was, weeks. It was it was very early on and and I think you invited me but I was like, "Nah, I don't think I'm ready for this kind for of overnight trips." Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But so I went with a bunch of my old friends from college including Calder who married us. Yes. And um we went to one winery that was just like a fucking grape juice, like awful. Yeah. yeah. Um, we went to another one that did actually very good ciders, and I yeah. thought their wine was decent. I didn't. Okay. I didn't bring a lot home, so I didn't. I didn't ever have a chance to try it without the rose-colored goggles of like yeah. a free wine tour. Yeah. And yeah. Tasting, exactly. You know, on a nice sunny ridge overlooking Gettysburg. Um, but Gettysburg is very much worth a visit. Uh, so there's fateful lightning. There's another one that's really cool by a female author named Amanda Foreman, and it's called World on Fire. Mm. And it is about how the Civil War is very much a world war Mm -hmm. in terms of its economic impact, the Mm -hmm. interests of, like, British, French, you know, and all these people. Because, like, a lot of British people fought on both sides of the war. Certainly the Irish did. And... um, you know, British diplomacy and Secretary of State, like they were all, first of all, the Confederacy was like, we can't win if we don't get like Britain or France to come in on our side. And they knew that the whole time. But this like talks about, you know, the they were building, the Confederacy was building warships in uh, British naval yards. Oh, wow. Like there's all this like fucking international spy shit that's going on. One of the big things that, that killed the Confederacy was... Um, they thought that the world, that British industry was so dependent on their cotton that the British would have to side with them. Huh. But then the British were like, actually, I think we'll just uh, do more genocide in India and exploit mm, their cotton yes, yes. and ship it. And so, like, like 
all these this international genocide for everyone. Yeah, all this international economic shit that was going on, and it's a really wonderfully told story. And um, so, I highly recommend that book. This also makes me realize uh, another historical, not epic so much, but historical uh, fiction movie. Mm. Um, oh. Sorry, I'm going to make a sidebar here. I just want to take a Let's moment. Let's put a pin in that. Let's put a pin in that. Um, <laughs> I want to. I want to shout out because I used to be obsessed with the historical fiction novelist Anne Rinaldi. Oh. Um, and I. I know I've talked to you about this before, but she wrote. Um, she wrote tons of books from all from the perspective of usually I think real women who existed. Um. But so she was kind of like, yes, taking liberties with what actually happened, but telling these stories from the perspective of usually young women. Um, so my favorite one is called An Acquaintance with Darkness. Um, and then there's Mine Eyes Have Seen, which is from the perspective of John Brown's daughter. Oh. Um, then there was one about Benedict Arnold. She She wrote like, 20 something of them I think probably more but I I read a bunch of those so anyway I just wanted to shout those out to her Rosé would definitely be great to pair with Anne Rinaldi books <laughs> um but I was going to say the other kind of historical movie that you put on frequently is Lincoln. Yes, I do love Lincoln. Yes. I mean, the performances are all fucking dynamite. It's obviously looking at everything with rose-colored glasses. But yeah. if you think about like think about trying to get something like the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments passed today. Um, you know. Yeah. And, and I just, it's a fantastic movie. The other one I, I really love when it comes to... The Civil War is. Um, well, uh, there's glory, glory, obviously. Glory, glory is... which is about the 54th Massachusetts, a real all-black regiment led by a white man named Robert Shaw, who is played by Matthew, Matthew Broderick, Broderick, and Carrie Elwes is in it, and and um, Andre Brower, and Andre Brower, who's Captain Holt in, yes. in Brooklyn Nine Nine, but. Yes. That that movie is like a tear jerking, you know. That that movie's fucking great. Yeah, that is a great movie. And Morgan Freeman and Denzel Washington. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah it's... It's, it's full of stars, and it's there's no fucking around with any uh, both sides. It is all from the point of view of like abolitionists and black people. Yeah. Um, and it, it does a good job actually. Denzel Washington has like an Oscar winning fucking speech where he's like, "All right, say we beat the Rebs, like." Yeah. Fuck. Fuck happens with me. Yeah. I'm going to be able to vote. I'm going to be able to have a job. You think I'm going to have all these things? Like, we're here to die for you. And, yeah. Uh, you know, you know, maybe free our cousins. But what happens after that? What happens once we're free? Like, yeah. we're just going to be, you're just going to treat us well? Like, you already treat us like fucking animals now. And we're on your side. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's a really good movie. It's from like 90 or 91. And, yeah. and it's it's very much worth a watch. Definitely. The other one that I think is worth a watch, although this one is a little more like both sidesy, like oh Robert E. Lee's actually a nice guy. Yeah. Uh, but the the way it's actually filmed and the score and everything is pretty great. Gettysburg, just the movie yeah. Gettysburg. Oh yeah, yeah, it yeah, is, yeah, yeah. The the music is incredible. They, you know, it's 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 a pretty faithful adaptation of the book Gettysburg by. 
I don't know, whatever the fuck his name was, but he was, he was, he was very, and then his sons wrote gods and generals and something else, but they, they're all in that Shelby foot lost cause, uh, like gloss over slavery thing too. And I will say another person who fits in that category is one of my absolute favorite authors, Charles Frazier. Mm. Who wrote Cold Mountain mm, and yeah. Nightwoods and Thirteen Moons, and these are all immaculately crafted books that have the same gaping hole in yeah. them, which is that they are all set in basically the same county in North Carolina for the mm-hmm. most part, and they gloss over, minimize, apologize for. Anything having to do with slavery. 13 Moons covers the trail of tears in the Native American genocide in great and empathetic detail. But it's like, oh, yeah, I owned a couple of slaves at one point. And it's just like, like as an aside. And it's like, you are such a smart person and great author and you should fucking do better. Yeah. Like you need to acknowledge what was going on in North Carolina (laughs) at this time. Okay. So we're kind of, we could, this is veering into what could be and maybe will be one day Winston's history podcast. <laughs> Sorry. But no, no, no. It's good. It's great. Um, I just wanted to chime in and say, um, because this is just something, I mean, I it's it's hugely important. It's hugely important. And I remember I, I was assigned to watch Glory um, and the Ken Burns documentary. And, you know, I think there's so much more to be done. But again, like, let's have, more people of color telling these stories, please. Um, which is why I'm excited about things like Lovecraft Country, which got canceled, um, which is more authentically telling the story of black people in America. And you can expand that across the globe to to all sorts of marginalized voices. But one thing, the, the one thought, the one wine thought that I had that I wanted to pop in with here is like with a movie like Lincoln... I didn't love it, honestly, and that's maybe controversial. Uh, no, I think. But 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 it's not because it's not objectively good. It's just that it's not. It doesn't appeal to me. So so as I've talked about many times on the show, the grape Syrah is a grape that I have very mixed feelings about, and often I will not like a Syrah. And it's not that I don't think it's good. It's not that I don't think the wine was made well. I just don't like it. And that's okay. Yeah. You're allowed. You're allowed to just not like things. Well, and also, like, how are you supposed to relate to a movie that you can't see yourself in? You know? like You the, don't think I look like Sally Field? There, I mean, well, she's like, the only female character yeah. of note in it. And there's, I mean, there's a black guy at the beginning who, like, has a couple of lines. But otherwise, there's no yeah. speaking black characters. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones's wife in the movie is, you know, it has like yeah. two lines. Yeah. But it's yeah. it's it's very much like a an old white man do good movie. It's a, you know well, it's a movie to make old a... white people feel better about themselves. And I think this is a theme that we've sort of discovered. Throughout. A lot of history. A is lot of history. Old white people is... wanting to feel better about themselves. <laughs> and is often told by old, <laughs> old white, white men. Yeah, oh yeah. And so and so. Like, Which is still largely the case. Exactly. So I think that's this is the takeaway that that we need more more diverse voices in hi- in history 100%. And so I mean like look at the controversy that's going on right now. You have all these people trying to ban any mention of the fact 
the simple fact that slavery is a bedrock part of the American nation. Yeah. Uh, the, from the colonies to right now, like economic incomes are still being dictated by the results of the collapse of Reconstruction, slavery, Jim Crow, redlining. I mean, the list goes on and fucking on. You can read yeah. ta Coates. He, he articulates it a lot better than I ever could. Yeah. But the fact that there are white people in positions of power who believe their best way to keep and get more power is to prey on the fact that some white people are so fucking uncomfortable with hearing yeah. about just shit that happened. Yeah. Just stuff that really happened. Yep. That they don't want their kids to learn about it because the kids might feel guilty. It's like, no, the kid's not being asked to feel guilty. The kid is being told what actually happened. And, and to they can, do better. Yeah, um, and they can make up their own minds about that. Right. You know, right. and it protects a, a system of racialized hierarchy that reactionaries and conservatives have been defending for lifetimes. Oh, my gosh. It is so, I mean, the, the control of history is one of the first things authoritarian regimes do. Look at what Putin is saying about, like, denazifying Ukraine. That's him controlling history yeah. and invoking you know, a glorious I'm, past in order to justify atrocities in the present. America does it. China does it. Every fucking imperialist power that has ever existed or done anything evil, which is most countries, do this this control of historical narrative. Yeah. And a lot, you know, a lot of it is because only a few people get to tell the story. Yeah. And the more people whose voices we hear and the more people whose voices we elevate who are of diverse background, you know, queer historians, people of color historians, uh, just gay, every, every women kind. And non -binary, women, non-binary, Yeah, everybody. Yeah. That, that's telling stories that need to be told to prevent the atrocities that are being glossed over in most mainstream historical accounts. I think that's a really great thought to end on. There you go. However, uh -oh. there's one last thing that I want to mention. Okay. In terms of uh, our history content. Okay. And that is epic rap battles of history. Epic rap battles of history. I'm obsessed <laughs> with with several in particular, but, there, but generally there have been times when we have spent whole evenings. Just watching epic rap battles of history. We've seen the uh, Ivan the Terrible versus all the greats many, many times. And if you have not watched it, have it is, most of it memorized. It is incredible. Also, the uh, the Ninja Turtles versus the yes. Renaissance namesakes is yes. another great one. And Thomas Jefferson versus, versus Frederick, Frederick Douglass. Douglass. Oh my god! It, it so good. So good. So they're good. just generally killing it they're 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 doing great. i know i know they're like their time of being you know relevant the chief character of the internet may have passed it may have passed but, but they're still making it. high quality yeah. shit and yeah you should absolutely and also check it out. and also drunk history which feels like a perfect uh, oh my thing god to end so good this. and actually drunk history winston's putting their shoes back on ladies uh, and gentlemen drunk history actually does a really good job of highlighting diverse um, yes. voices and characters definitely through the different comedians but they're telling the stories of women 
you know, black yeah. people, native people, yeah. gay people, all you know. a lot of revolutionaries. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. They really get into it. Um, and it's just worth chewing through that series because it's hilarious. So I would say uh, epic rap for epic rap battles of history. I would pair. Um, I don't know. Whatever I love best at the moment. Like a okay. like a light red wine. Well, I think it's a, something that has like a bite to it. It does. I, I, so there's this one Pinot Noir I've been drinking. It feels right for this. It's called the Zorsal Pinot Noir. It's actually from Argentina. Argentina not known for its Pinot Noir necessarily. It's really good and really not expensive. And uh, and so I would just drink that wine all night while watching epic rap battles of history. And then drunk history is obviously whatever you want to drink but just yeah. drink a lot of it yeah, <laughs> yeah. i'm frederick gate at the gate first serving state oblique attack tactics and exactly straight <laughs> the Alex- talents the- and battle malice hard to steal in the field genteel in the palace <laughs> um the the alexander the great rap of that one is oh, yeah. maybe my favorite hey thing. fella swell this but now you got, got the panhellenist from palahelipus stepping out's useless as well as foolish. okay we, can, we don't want to get in trouble we can't we don't want to get in trouble we gotta stop okay winston thank you for sharing my pleasure. Nostrovia. And, uh, Nostrovia, and uh, we'll see you next time. Cheers. Cheers. Pairing was created, hosted, and produced by Emma Sherjarko, with music and audio recording by Winston Shaw and logo artwork by Darcy Zimmerman and Katie Huey. This episode was edited by Emma Sherjarko. Follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Pairing Podcast to keep tabs on what we're up to. And feel free to send us any thoughts, questions, requests, and pairings of your own on our website, thepairingpodcast.com, via email at pairingpodcast at gmail.com, or on any social media platform. Come check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast where you can pledge as little as $1 a month and get access to exclusive content, customized pairings from me, live streams, and more. Also, check out our merch store on our website at thepairingpodcast.com merch. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends. Thank you so much for listening to Pairing, where you come for the stories and stay for the wine.